It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Rick is continuing in the book of Mark in his Experiencing Jesus series. Today he has a sermon entitled, Take It Deeper and Further. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, and today Rick is looking at verses 40 through 45. Let's join Rick. Father, there are times when words just seem almost inadequate to express what's coming out of our hearts, like with a song like that, that we want to praise and honor you. Because we recognize we're the rescued ones that you have done so much for. And and merit is not even an issue on the table any longer. There is nothing we can do to impress you. There's nothing we can do to get our act together to make you love us more. You just, out of your grace, have done everything for us in Jesus Christ. And we are amazed in awe of the gospel once again this morning. And so we have every reason to praise you. Thank you. Father, this morning we also thank you that you've not stuttered, you've not remained silent, but you've given us your word. And we're grateful for that too. Because it leads us to you, it leads us to your heart, it leads us to our rock and our refuge that we need. And so Father, in these coming moments as we have the opportunity to to jump in and study your word, Father, give us clear minds, give us a freedom in our spirits to engage with you and may we hear your voice speak to us. Oh, because Father, that's what will change us. That's what will change us. And so Father, that's what we pray for. So use these moments we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, before we jump in, I just feel like this morning we need to give a, a, a great deal of appreciation to our worship team that Sunday after Sunday just leads us in praise to God. So, Tom, to your team. And I know they would be the first ones to say, hey, all praise and glory to the Lord. And we, we, we know that, Tom. But at the same time, you guys faithfully serve us with your gifts every week. So, And Robert's not here this morning to, to hear this, but... Um, Hope you'll pass that along, but we really are blessed, very blessed. Do you remember um, the classic movie Patch Adams from the late 90s? Patch Adams was a movie based upon a true story of a medical student who discovers the healing power of humor while in medical school. So you have Hunter Patch Adams, uh, played by the comedian Robin Williams, who in med school gets frustrated with the medical school policy that says you are to treat patients in an impersonal approach to avoid emotional attachment with them. About halfway through the movie, there's this incredibly powerful scene where Patch disguises himself in order to join a bunch of third-year medical students who are making rounds with a teaching physician. They're going from room to room, patient to patient, and the doctor, in a very detached manner, is describing their symptoms and the diagnosis for each patient. Eventually, they approach a woman who is laying on a gurney in the hallway. She's got open sores on her legs and her feet, 
And the teaching physician stops the group and the following conversation happens. He says to the other third-year medical students, here we have a juvenile-onset diabetic with poor circulation, diabetic ulcers and lymphedema, and the evidence of gangrene. Questions? So one student asks, any osteomyelitis? The doctor replies, none apparent, uh, although not definitive. Another student asks, what's the appropriate treatment? To which he says, stabilize the blood sugar, consider antibiotics, and perhaps amputation. To which the young woman on the cart cringes, hearing those fearful words from a doctor who has not even acknowledged her presence. At that point, if you remember in the movie, Patch from the back of the group says, what's the woman's name? And then he repeats himself, I'm just wondering the patient's name. And this totally flusters the doctor. Um, he struggles to look at the chart and, and to find it. And then he finally announces um, Marjorie. At which point he then leads the group off to another patient. But Patch lingers behind. Comes up and stands beside her bed. Reaches out, puts his hand on her shoulder and says, Hi, Marjorie. Mark, in chapter 1, describes for us how Jesus bursts onto the Galilean scene with these enthusiastic young fishermen in tow, and he has got a powerful message. What's the message? The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. So if Jesus is correct, and the kingdom of God is coming now... The time is fulfilled, in other words. Then that means that all old systems, all old structures that define life for us as people is disappearing. It's on its way out. In other words, a new day is here. Uh, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new big dog. Jesus is announcing changes in the air. And it's not just a little bit of change. It is massive change that is going to occur. So here's the key question. Is all this kingdom of God talk coming out of Jesus' lips just philosophical banter or does it really impact a person's life? In other words, how is this new order going to be seen? How will our eyes pick it up? It's a fair question. How does Mark answer it? Well, he's been using this whole first chapter to describe something to us. And if you'll remember where we've been over the last couple of weeks, uh, prior to our being gone to Florida last week, um, Mark has been pointing out the authority and the power that Jesus had. An authority to ask people to follow him. An authority to, in the way he taught the scriptures. There was an authority over the demonic. There was an authority over physical sickness or illness. And so in our initial introduction to Jesus, what we saw is that he impresses us with all his authority and all his power. And those that were there at the moment, we saw, were absolutely flabbergasted by all of this. They were flabbergasted by what they saw. They were flabbergasted by what their ears heard. So that word of what Jesus was saying, word about what he was doing, just spread like wildfire. The arrival of the kingdom of God, Mark wants us to see 
was validated by power and authority. But the minute you use that, those terms, power and authority, that very idea carries with it the sense of the impersonal. In other words, do I, as an individual, matter when such cosmic changes are occurring and a new kingdom is coming in? So Mark wants to address that kind of a question or wondering. And what he does now, if you open your Bibles and turn to to Mark chapter 1 again, starting in Mark 1 verse 40 and then spreading into chapter 2 in the coming weeks, he's going to give us three specific events in the life of Jesus that provide the details of how the coming kingdom that's coming in at this very moment is going to impact people personally. We'll look at the first one this morning. The second one next week, we'll take a break and celebrate Easter together. And then after Easter, we'll come back and look at the third. So the story this morning begins in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40, when an individual approaches Jesus. And what we're told about this man reveals the obvious need that he has. Follow along. Let's read starting in verse 40. And so a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Now, we're so far removed from the, the, the culture of that day and the conditions of that day that we need to kind of review some critical facts here of what we're just seeing in these opening couple of verses in order to enter into what's happening here. Verse 40 tells us that this man had leprosy, which means he was in a repulsive condition. The word that Mark uses to describe his physical issue doesn't necessarily mean that the man had what we know as the disease of leprosy. That word could describe any number of horrific skin disorders that created severe consequences, though, for the sufferer. So understand physically what's going on with this guy. Uh, These kinds of diseases typically the victim's appearance into something that was very, very hideous to look at. Uh, The skin would have these wide-ranging blotches of bright red or white or black. Scabs and rashes and open oozing sores were common on their skin. In some cases, fingers and toes and ears and even whole hands would would wither and then eventually just drop off. So their condition by all appearance sake, is a very repulsive thing to look upon. Now, because of the Old Testament law, specifically Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, a person that was experiencing this kind of a disease had to tear their clothes, had to leave their hair unkept, they had to cover their mouth, and any time someone would approach them, they had to yell out, I'm unclean! I'm unclean! They couldn't live in town. They were banished and had to stay alone outside the city. Can you imagine the impact socially on a person? Pretty obvious, isn't it? 
Others are repelled and repulsed by their appearance because what others see in them is disgusting and sickening. And if someone looks too close at you, literally they're going to get nauseated by what they see. That's how sad the situation is with this guy. So leprous people, they're ostracized. They're avoided. They're always on the outside. They can, they can, never, they can never be let in. They can never be involved. They can never play a part in, in community at all. They make others uncomfortable just by being around. All that then makes what this man did so unexpected. Because again, look at verse 40. This man takes a surprising initiative. We're told he walks right up to Jesus, falls to his knees, and begs him. Folks, there is an incredible amount of risk that he's taking to do this. What's risky about it? Well, what he did was not only socially unacceptable, it was biblically disobedient at the same time. So the first risk that he took was the possible rejection that he could face as people backed away and potentially began yelling at him to to leave. What are you doing? You don't belong here. Get away from us. That could have been one possible risk. The second risk is recorded at the end of verse 40. And it's in his words to Jesus, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice something about those words. He believed Jesus could heal him. He believed Jesus had the power to do it. What he did not know was whether Jesus was willing to do it for him. In other words, he had done it for others, but will he do it for me? I don't know. There's the risk. So the issue is not can Jesus do it, but would Jesus do it? Now look at verse 41. Because the focus shifts now in verse 41, and we get Jesus' incredible response. And don't miss, there are three powerful qualities to the response that Jesus has to this individual. First, verse 41, pouring out of our Savior comes pity. Not contempt, not disgust but compassion. Jesus is displaying before this guy this deep-seated emotion of pity and sympathy for him. In other words, it bothered Jesus that this man had this horrendous skin disease. Isn't that a wonderful view into his heart? Now, the second part of Jesus' response is that motivated by his compassion, what do we see next? Jesus reached out and touched him. Now remember the scene. This is really important. The man has just come up to Jesus. He has kneeled down before Jesus. So for Jesus to reach out and touch a kneeling man in front of him, where is he going to touch him? On the head. On the face. Someone has said, friends might slap us on the back or shake our hand. Close friends might give a hug or squeeze our arm, but it is only a lover who will touch our head, our hair, or our face. Wow. 
Jesus has come in power and authority to change the very system, uh, the systems of life and bring in the kingdom of God and where other men might hide behind their, their grandiose purposes or schemes for life or might hide behind their power and authority. Instead, Jesus extends a personal touch to the repulsive, to the disgusting, to that which by all appearance is gross. But it doesn't stop with just pity and a touch. Third, powerful response by Jesus. In verse 41 and verse 42, Jesus confirms his willingness and then speaks the word to heal. He says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. When we read stories like this, there is something that ought to make us stop, kind of sit back and whisper, wow. See, Mark is, is passionately writing this stuff so that we might enter into this story and realize how much we are like this leper. And he wants us to realize that so that we can come to know Jesus personally and begin to experience this kingdom-focused life that he said, I've come to offer everybody. How are we like this leper? Well, think about it. It's probably not physical. Um, But I would dare to suggest that pretty much everybody in this room has got something in our lives, myself included, that if known, we fear others would find it repulsive. In fact, it's something we... That, that thing is something we carefully hide out of fear that others will discover how unclean we feel about ourselves. Um, in fact, it's a, it's a part of ourselves we don't even really like about us. Uh, and we're scared that if others really knew who we are, that it would sicken them, that they might withdraw from us, that they were simply would just say, just please go away. So instead, what do we do? We maintain a safe distance from others. Um, we stay on the perimeter of relationships. We isolate ourselves. We, we selectively invest out of a sense of panic of what might happen if others really knew who we are. <laughs> you know, what I find about this story is that this story has a way of worming in beyond these defenses we put up, and it gets us to ask a question down deep, and that is, what am I willing to risk like this leper? The leper, he was tired of the consequences of being a leper. He wanted healing, so he took risk. Who here is tired of living isolated from other people? Who here is tired of living in a kind of removed sense from those that we really would love to draw near to? Who's tired of living behind protective walls built? And who is here ready to to do what might appear to be totally socially unacceptable, even in a Christian context, in order to find healing from Jesus? Fair questions. How do you answer those questions? 
answer to those questions is found in knowing how Jesus Christ will respond to those risks you take. What did he do for the leper? He was met with compassion, which means we will be met with compassion. Because Jesus aches for us because of our addictions that have us in bondage, our wounds that we're reluctant to want to even face. Jesus feels our pain. Jesus faces our, helps us and feels our regrets and that losses that we've experienced in life. And probably the best news of all out of the story is we have a lover like no other. And he wants to bring his powerful and authoritative touch to our lives. He wants to bring healing. Folks, he wants to bring cleansing. I wish the story ended right here, but it doesn't. It actually takes a very dramatic and unexpected 90-degree turn. At first, that turn is puzzling. But all that happens now, starting in verse 43 down to verse 45, makes us move. It's a move from seeing the man's obvious need to moving over to seeing the obscure need. Watch what happens now. Look at verse 43. The man's been made clean. Verse 43, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. Stern? What's, what's with Jesus' stern tone here? What Mark's describing is that Jesus is literally furious, but not a angry fury, but rather a frantic desperation. In other words, Jesus knows that what this man does next is critical. In other words, something you turn around. Something is balancing on the knife edge here. Something is in a very precarious position. So Jesus gets in this guy's face and makes it extremely clear the seriousness of his very next step. Well, what is Jesus' specific directive to him? Look at verse 44. Jesus says to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Isn't that puzzling? Why should he not tell others what happened to him? Because as we've already seen, Jesus doesn't want fame as a miracle worker. He performed many miracles, yes, but he always did it as part of a larger, deeper, divine purpose, not for just show. So the instruction to go to the priest and show himself as clean and offer sacrifices is literally a summary of the instructions found in Leviticus chapter 14. The sacrifice of an animal's life was the symbolic ritual of seeking and receiving God's forgiveness. In other words, there's this Old Testament flowing into the New Testament concept here that the only solution for guilt is God's forgiveness. And it can only come by the shedding of blood. 
Well, that's puzzling even in itself. So what does that have to do with the leper's healing and cleansing? I mean, he's a victim of a disease. Why does he need forgiveness? Now we're getting down to it. See, the reason Jesus is so forceful in his tone of voice and specific about the man's next step is that the physical cleansing of his skin is meant to lead him to see his need of a deeper cleansing. A person can be miraculously healed of their disease or their ailment. But if they never experience the forgiveness of God, then nothing of real value has been gained. Jesus wanted this man to go deeper and further than just the physical healing to the richest healing of all, which is divine cleansing, folks. So what happens? Well, look at the first word of verse 45. What is it? What is it? But. Okay? It did not go well. We have the deficient response. Instead of going further and deeper, what happens? But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Notice, instead of going further and deeper, this guy settles for the immediate thrill of his physical cleansing and begins sharing the fact with anyone who would listen. And we can understand that. Who doesn't enjoy having a good story to tell to others? Especially if there's a supernatural element involved in it that will elicit from those who are listening. Ooh, ah. Again, put yourself into this guy's place. For years, he has been avoided. Now, he's invited in. For years, he has been alone. Now, he's asked to join in. For years, he has been marginalized. Now, he's the center of attention. But verse 45 tells us that his choice changed Jesus' ministry. It created a volatile atmosphere of craziness where people were simply looking for the amazing, so Jesus had to stay out of the cities and towns, we're told. Notice the irony. Their circumstances flipped. This man can now freely go into any town he wants. But Jesus, almost like a leper, has to stay out. Jesus wanted that leper to be healed, but then take it further, take it deeper. He started with the man's obvious need to make, hopefully to have this man then face his obscure need. What about us? Again, remember Mark's intent is that we enter into the story, even into this very last part. So let me ask again what I asked just a few moments ago. Are you here this morning and tired of living like this leper? Tired of hiding that part of you that feels so unclean. 
scared of rejection, but absolutely petrified of what might happen if you opened the door to that room to Jesus Christ. You're not feeling guilty because of what you've done so much as you are overwhelmed with shame because of what's been done to you. All I can say, my friends, is let me assure you, you will be met with compassion. A willingness to bring you to healing, and you'll be met with a power to make it happen. But before you take that step, remember that Jesus wants you to go all the way. The healing that Jesus wants us to experience also involves cleansing from the way we have attempted to cope with our disgusting and repulsive conditions that have brought us such shame. Because so many of us, we've tried to manage our shame. We've tried to cope. And our tactics are typically self-centered. And that's why we need cleansing from, and forgiveness. Why? Let me be suggestive of a couple areas. We need the cleansing of forgiveness because of the lies we have used and the excuses that we have used to cover our wounds. We need forgiveness because of the deceptive facades that we have built to protect our hearts from others getting too close and seeing something too intimate. We need forgiveness because of the drivenness that is pushing our lives to prove to ourselves and to others that we really are acceptable people. We need forgiveness for the compulsions and the addictions that we are using to try to ease our shame pain. We need forgiveness for our anger with God or our anger with others for what they have done that we've had to live with. We need forgiveness from God for our fake piety that shows in an ungodly Resignation, when nothing we have tried has made any change whatsoever. My friends, God sent Jesus with power and authority to change our lives, and he can move in with a cleansing in these very places of our lives we don't even want to admit. He can bring the cleansing we desperately need, both at the obvious and the obscure levels. And the life that God originally intended for us to live is life with a capital L, just a lowercase l. And Jesus doesn't want us to settle for anything less than cleansing at that deep, deep level. Three years ago, Chris Simpson led a white pride march. He was at the very front. Eighteen months ago, though, he abandoned the white supremacist movement. A year ago, this coming April, next month, he was baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. Simpson at the time was a 38-year-old garbage man, a former Marine, And he had the words pure hate tattooed on the front of his knuckles. 
because he was just consumed with hate. He says himself, hate will blind you to so many things. It will stop you from having so many things. It just consumes you. You see, it all started with the loss of his first child. Simpson had a lot of hatred and anger built up on the inside because they lost his first child. And the white pride movement gave Simpson a place to direct his anger and his frustration, and it was at people of other races. Amazingly, things began to change one day when the family went on a shopping trip to Walmart. (laughs) As he was shopping and, and going up and down some of the aisles, one of his kids looked down a certain aisle, then looked up at Simpson and said, Daddy, you can't go down that aisle. There's a, and the child used the N word. Because that person's down there. You can't go down that aisle, Dad. And that conversation shocked Simpson. And he remembers thinking at that time, it's time to make a change for them. I don't want my kids following the path I'm on. Soon after, he and his family were encouraged, and they watched, after dinner one night, the movie Courageous, which started some things in movement, which led... Chris and his family to start attending church within a few weeks, which led him to accepting Jesus Christ as his Savior, which led then the following month for him to be baptized. He says, any kind of burdens that I carried before, I let them go. And then he made this this comment. He said, there's no need to carry things that happened in the past I forgave all those who wronged me, and I asked forgiveness from those that I had wronged. Simpson left hate behind. In fact, it's interesting. He's even going through the Freedom Inc. Tattoo Removal Program for what's on his knuckles. And he started with the word hate, but he decided to leave the other word. What's left? pure. He went all the way, folks. He went further. He went deeper by allowing Jesus Christ to cleanse both the obvious and the obscure needs in his life. Will I do that? Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that this powerful little story that unfortunately, Lord, sometimes we've sanitized it. Oh, we remember it from our Sunday school years. But somehow it was toned down to be maybe more appropriate for kids or something. But, but now as adults, it's come back in a haunting way. And I want to thank you that the power and authority of Jesus Christ is greater than the repulsive effects of sin in anybody's life. And if Jesus Christ can heal a leper, Jesus Christ can heal any one of us. And so, Father, some of us this morning, there may be that little spark of hope that's beginning to want to catch flame that wants to believe in your compassion, that wants to believe your touch, that wants to believe you're willing.
to heal me. Father, these are sacred moments right now. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for the heart of our Savior. Thank you for the joy of knowing, yes, that's what Christ can do for me and that's what Christ can do for those I'm living with who have been shamed and are in hiding. So, Father, for those of us in this room, for those that we know that need this wonderful gospel good news message, we pray that our lives would be changed because we've come to experience Jesus for who he really is. And we pray that you would do that in the powerful and authoritative name of our Savior. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.